Heavenly Father, as we've just sung, I pray that, uh, Lord, we call on your name right now. And Father, we pray that you would take us to that place where our faith is without borders, where it is completely trusting in you, and where it is seen by the people in our worlds. Father, we particularly pray for that this coming week as we have all the dozens and dozens of young people here uh, throughout the week. We pray, Father, for your spirit to move in a mighty way and for lives to begin an exciting relationship with you. Father, would you speak to us this morning through your word? We thank you and we praise you in advance for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Zombies are popular in our world these days. We see zombie movies, uh, the classic Night of the Living Dead from Dusk to Dawn. There's a, a zombie TV show, The Walking Dead. There's even a zombie-themed uh, game show, Resident Evil uh, video game. I, I read about a zombie apocalypse theme park that they have built in Dubai. If you're not scared enough, you can go and experience the zombie apocalypse. And speaking of which, a few years ago, the Centers for Disease Control created quite a stir when they put out a blog post that was entitled, Preparedness 101 Zombie Apocalypse. And people were like, does the CDC know something that, that I don't know? And in part, here's what the blog said. Uh, there are all kinds of emergencies out there that we can prepare for, the posting reads. Uh, take zombie apocalypse, for example. That's right. I said zombie apocalypse. Now, you may laugh now, but when it happens, you'll be happy that you read this. And hey, maybe you'll even learn a thing or two about how to prepare for a real emergency. So obviously, they're not saying we're going to have a zombie apocalypse, but oddly enough, you know, if there's going to be a zombie apocalypse, you want to store up water and medical supplies and have a, a go bag and all of that kind of stuff. And while you're at it, you're also prepared for earthquakes and fires and floods. And so the point is today, I see James here talking about about spiritual zombies. Zombies have moved into the church. It's, a zombie is, is of course, the, the living dead. It's, the, it's reanimated corpses. And, and in the church, you have people who are saying that they're alive when, in fact, the potential is, on the inside, they are dead. James says that this morning, and he's going to illustrate that for us in a number of ways. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2, and we'll pick up where we left off last week at verse 14. As always, I want to encourage you to take out the note sheets that you got at the door. If you, if you didn't get one, put your hand up, and one of our ushers will be sure to get that to you. We have a lot of notes this morning, both front and back. And we're going to continue this morning on this theme that we have taken up called Faith at Work. And today we have what I would consider to be the central theme to the entire book of James. Now, when I say central theme, I mean it's sort of like the top of the mountain. Everything prior to this points to what we're going to talk about today. He's talked about trials and temptations and about, uh, about hearing and doing and about tongue, the tongue and loving, as, loving others as yourself. And now everything that follows after this is going to point back to what we see today. And what we're going to see today are three kinds of faith, all of which are necessary if you're going to avoid being a spiritual zombie. You need all of them. And so let's jump right in. Here's the first one. The first thing you need in order to not be that spiritual zombie is an intellectual faith. 
Starting in verse 14, here's what James says. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, the first thing to note here is that he's talking about people who claim to have faith. He's talking about people who say that they have faith. He is not necessarily here talking about a true faith, and we're going to see why I can say that in just a second. This could be a claim of faith. Why? Because James asks, can that faith save him? Of course, if it was true faith, the answer would be obviously yes. But uh, he's obviously not talking about that because he is talking about a kind of faith that has, uh, deed, has no deeds or no works. And the implied answer to that question, can that faith save him, is no. It can't save you. It's only an intellectual faith. Uh, it's, a, it's a person who believes things about Jesus without believing in Jesus. It, it's like carrying around a driver's license but never driving a car. You're not a driver. That license is useless. It serves no purpose unless you get behind the wheel and actually start driving the vehicle. And James here now says, essentially, let me show you what I mean. He, and here's what someone who is like this would look like. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, again, a couple of things to note here. He says, first, it's a brother or sister, meaning it's a fellow believer, and they don't even have the basics of life. They don't have food. They don't have clothing. Verse 16, he continues, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? At this time, there was a common Jewish greeting that went like this, go in peace, I wish you well. In other words, what you're saying is your, your needs are met, and I hope that your future needs are going to be met as well. But he doesn't stop there, does he? To this naked, hungry person, what does this guy say? Be warmed and be filled. In other words, he's essentially saying to this person, please go and may God take care of you because I don't really have the time for that. <laughs> That's, in other words, they're asking God to do something that God has asked us to do because you realize we are often the fulfillment of our own prayers. If I'm in a prayer meeting and I am praying for somebody for their needs, for, for something that is going on in their life, and I realize I have the ability personally to meet that need, then it's my responsibility to step up and to meet that need. God has called us to do that. In 1 John 3, 17, John says, but whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, here's how James says it. Look at verse 17. In the same way also, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In other words, that person who just talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk is the living dead, a zombie. Now, we can come up with excuses. After all, world hunger is way too big a problem for us. After all, how can I possibly help all the hungry people? I don't have enough stuff to even make a dent in that. But notice what James is saying here. He's not saying all the world. He's saying a brother or sister. 
He's talking about each person reaching a, or helping a person. It's the same concept behind our, our, our world cards. When, when, the, when the Great Commission says, go into all the world and make disciples, well, if, if we think of it in those terms, oh, man, the world is so big, there's so many people, I think I'll go take a nap, okay? It's just too much. It's kind of like, you know, mowing the weeds down in my backyard. I think I'm going to go take a nap. That's just way too much. But if we realize that God has brought certain individuals into my life, we like to say eight to 15 different people who are my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, uh, the guy that pumps my gas, all these various people, those are the people that constitute my world. If the focus is on reaching the entire world, I'm probably not going to do a whole lot. But if the focus is upon reaching that guy next door that I talk with, you know, two or three times a week, now it's manageable. And that's the beauty behind what we do with these cards. If you don't know what this card is, grab one on your way out. They're by the doors. And on the back, it talks about how we as a church seek to reach out to the people in our worlds. And we pray for them and we look for opportunities to have an impact, a godly impact in their lives. Now, Again, we can come up with excuses, but that's what God has called us to do. The July, on July 4th, someone asked me a question. If I am saved by faith, then why do works even figure into the, the equation? Well, John Calvin put it this way. He says, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. True saving faith as what James is talking about here, is never by itself. If it is, then you're a zombie. Just embrace it. Just accept it. And, and by that, I mean you are a zombie. I, I say that because James isn't writing this so that we can judge each other's faith. I know when I said that, some of you looked over at someone and said, oh yeah, he's a zombie, all right. I mean, that's not the point here. He's talking about each of us using this as a tool to determine our own faith. And we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes. In fact, let me get into it right now. Here's a couple of questions to ask yourself. To whom should I explain why I live the way that I do? To whom is, is, a is there a person in my world that I need to be sharing with them why I am the way I am? And secondly, who needs to see more clearly that I back up my words of faith with action? Now, an intellectual faith is important, but it's not just all by itself. You need to add something to it, and that's where James goes next. You have an intellectual faith plus an emotional faith. Now, someone says here, can't we just all get along? I mean, after all, so my faith is a little bit different than yours. Why can't we all just live our Christian lives our own ways? That's what we see in verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Obviously, the point that James is making here is this scenario he set up cannot be done. Faith, after all, is invisible. What, is, what does faith look like? Faith doesn't have a, 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 a physical reality other than the, the things that we do as a result of that faith. Anybody can say anything to anyone. I remember one time they always, when they would, when they would leave, they would always say, love you, bye-bye. Love you, bye-bye. And I, and I wonder sometimes, do they really love all those people? Because they would say that to everybody. Love you, bye-bye. Love you, bye-bye. Yeah, are, are you really loving them or are you just mouthing those words? 
And remember again, he's addressing this entire letter to Christians, to those of us in the family. He's, and he's not talking here about the root of our faith, okay? The faith that comes when you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. He's talking here about the fruit of my faith. There was a young kid one time that came out of a store. His mom had sent him down to the store to buy some eggs. And he came out of the store and tripped and he dropped all the eggs and they all cracked all over the sidewalk. And the kid was kind of oh, sad, you know, and people were gathering around and they were saying, oh, there, there, that's okay, that's okay, you know. And, and, and finally, one guy hands the kid a quarter and he turns to the other people and he says, now I care 25 cents worth, how much do the rest of you care? Okay, I mean, everybody can say, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I feel so bad for you. But somebody that actually comes through and says, let me meet that need, that's what James is talking about here. Words don't mean a whole lot if we don't, have the, if we don't do the things that, that involve the, the actions that demonstrate that our words are true. Back on, um, at the Wolf's house this past Monday, I was talking to Trenton. And Trenton was remarking just how generous this church is. I mean, it was wonderful. Last week, they did their fundraiser. They raised a, a good amount of money. I guess almost all of it, right? Yeah, they raised everything they need to, to go to Broken Arrow. So if you didn't get in on it, you missed out. Anyway, <laughs> so we've got that between the, between the people of this church and the missions committee. The, the, the thing is completely funded, and it's, it's encouraging. What, a, what a, 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 an encouraging thing to hear from our youth workers. Because just as easily, you could have said, you know what, Trenton, we're going to pray for you. We'll pray really, really hard. And it's nothing against prayer, okay? I, I appreciate, we certainly want the prayer. We want the prayer even more than we want the money. But when the money comes through as well, that's what James is getting at here. It's a demonstration that those prayers are more than just words. We care 25 cents worth. And speaking of words, James continues in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Now, what he's doing here is he's quoting something or he's talking about something that his Jewish readers would understand very well. It's called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6.4. And they would recite this every morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. But even accepting a tremendous statement of faith, which is what that is, a true statement of faith, even that is not enough to save you. That's what James is getting at here. Why? Because what did he say? The demons believe that and they shudder. And what is that? They believe and they shudder. To shudder is an emotional reaction. The demons have an intellectual faith. They believe. Of course they believe. They, 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 they see God. They, they recognize him. They, they see his effects. And, but they also have this emotional faith. They shudder in the face of the Lord. What the demons don't do is they don't act on their faith. There are no deeds to back up their words and their emotions. And sadly, that's true for many of us today. Believing that God exists doesn't mean that you have a right relationship with him. For instance, it's like the wife who's been ignored, you know, throughout the entire marriage, and yet her husband is there saying, but I recognize you exist. I see you. I, I believe that you are actually there, but there's no relationship there. What an awful existence that must be. I've listened to... Uh, Young people share memory verses, particularly in Awana, 
And um, after they're done sharing the verse, you know, sometimes it's like, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know why it seems like sometimes it's, you got to do it as fast as possible, but that's what they do. And I, ask, I, I typically ask a simple question, probably doesn't make me real popular to share memory verses with. I say, now can you tell me what that means? <laughs> and usually I get blank stares, like, huh? Uh, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? But that's the question they're going to get from me. And we often do that, don't we? Scripture, or, or, not scripture, but I often think that people, uh, there's a phrase you might have heard, people often miss God by 18 inches. And the 18 inches is the distance between your head and your heart. It's not enough just to say the right words. It's not enough to just have an intellectual or even an emotional knowledge. You know, the worship this morning was awesome, was it not? And it would be easy and very wrong to say, oh man, I had such an emotional experience. God must be real. I must be feeling the spirit of God moving through me. Well, I got to tell you guys, if that's true, then um, you know, God must be working through It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, God must be moving through uh, you know, the Super Bowl because I get emotional at those things. I get worked up. You know, I, I, oh man, I'm, I, I'm reacting to what's coming at me. That's an emotional reaction quite often if there's nothing else to back it up. What James is doing here is he's challenging us to, kind of, to have the kind of faith that his brother, Jesus, his literal half-brother, Jesus, d- encouraged us to have. In Mark 12, Jesus said... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So we are to have this intellectual faith. We are to have an emotional faith. And then finally, we are to have a physical faith. Look at verse 20. It says, but are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? And here we begin to get the idea of what James means when he talks about a dead faith. It is useless. It is as good as dead. It's like a zombie. If you think about zombies, what what do zombies do? Brains brains, okay? They just lumber around, if you're that kind of zombie. They have, lately, they have zombies that race and, and go a little faster, but the, the classic zombies, they don't go very fast, okay? Most of us can outrun them because, you know, they were dead. But, but all their, their whole purpose in life is to feed, okay? Feed, gotta find food. That's a, and, and sadly, that's a good description of the way a lot of people are these days. They just walk and feed. James here is going to illustrate what he's saying here with the lives of two very different people. One of them is the father of the Jewish nation, a guy by the name of Abraham. You probably heard of him. And the other one is a Canaanite prostitute by the name of Rahab. And these two people couldn't be more different. You have Abraham, the father of the Jews. You have Rahab, who is a Gentile. You have Abraham, who is godly, okay? You have... Rahab, who is sinful, you have Abraham, who was called a friend of God, and you have Rahab, who belonged to the enemies of God. So what does James see that both of these guys have in common? He's going to show us how they both exercise their faith in God, seen in their works. And interestingly enough, they're both relatives of Jesus. They both show up in the genealogy leading up to Christ. So let's see what he has to say. Verse 21. 
He says, was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now skip down to verse 25. In the same way was Rahab, the prostitute, not justified by works also, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? I would encourage you to spend some time reading through the background of these two individuals. You have, uh, both of them are in Genesis, and in uh, Genesis 15, we see how the Lord took Abraham outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, and if you're able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be, you got to realize he was an old man, and then Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. And he got his son, did he not? Isaac came along in their old age. It was a definite miracle of God. But prior to that, Abraham believed. Why? He didn't believe because it made sense. He didn't believe because it was physically possible. He believed because God said it. It's the same faith we demonstrate to this day. And then later, what did God say that Abraham was to do? You are to now take that son of yours, that Isaac, and you are to sacrifice him to me. And you can read all about that in Genesis 22. And what did Abraham do? He went and he, he fulfilled everything. In fact, he had decided in his heart, we read this in the book of Hebrews, he had decided already that, you know, I'm giving Isaac up. Isaac now belongs to the Lord. And he believed, according to the writer of Hebrews, that God could resurrect him again because he believed that original promise. My descendants are going to be like the stars of the heavens. Therefore, either Isaac is going to be the one or God's going to give me another one. Whatever it is, God is going to fulfill his promise. What did James say in verse 22? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. His action wasn't the priority, you see. It was the proof of what was really inside of him. He loved God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. And then there's Rahab. And again, you can read all about that in Joshua chapter 2 where the spies go into Jericho and they go to Rahab, the, the, uh, the prostitute, and she agrees to hide them and then she lies for them. By the way, this is one of those cases where you know, theology students like to say, was it correct what, what, what uh, Rahab did? I mean, after all, she lied. Okay, this is one of those cases where scripture is giving us uh, an example of what somebody did. They're not necessarily agreeing with what they did, but this is what they did. And it was a demonstration of her faith. We read in Joshua 2.11, when we heard, this is Rahab speaking, this is her faith being demonstrated. When we heard these reports, our hearts melted and no courage remained in anyone any longer because of you, because of the spies and because of the Israelites that were coming. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. She believed in God, she voiced that, and then she put her life on the line in order to hide these enemies of her people. And she demonstrates an intellectual faith in this passage. She heard, she knows, she, plus she demonstrates an emotional faith. Her heart was melted and a physical faith. She hid the spies. She did what they asked. Now, I skipped over verse 24 because it applies to both illustrations. Verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith 
alone. I can hear some of you now. Wait a minute. Whoa. Hold on. I know the book of Romans, all right? I know the book of Romans says in Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith, and you could actually say faith alone, apart from the works of the law. Paul emphasizes that throughout the book of Romans, that it is faith alone. In fact, many people think that Paul and James are contradicting one another. No less than Martin Luther himself believed that Romans, if you had nothing else in the Bible, Romans would suffice. And in fact, uh, he didn't have a whole lot of good things to say about the book of James. <laughs> he thought the book of James should be removed from the Bible. So what is it? Are we justified? He was wrong, by the way, and we're going to see why. Are we justified by faith alone, or are we justified by what we do? And as is often the case in questions like this, the answer is yes. <laughs> Paul and James, there's one simple way to look at it. They are using the word justify in different ways. You might say that they're seeing two sides of the same coin. The, v, the Greek word that is used here in both of their discourses, dikayoho, can mean either to declare something righteous, like you would do in a court of law, like what the book of Romans talks about, or it can also mean to demonstrate something as righteous by its actions. It depends on the context. In language, guys, context is everything. I mean, next week... At right on schedule, it seems like every time we have VBS, the temperature goes into triple digits, so it's supposed to be above 100 all week next week. And I guarantee you, at one point at least, I'm going to hear somebody say, I thought I was going to die out there, okay? Now, that's the context for that statement, but let me tell you, if somebody was in a, uh, a gunfight or in battle... And they said, I thought I was going to die. The context suggests a whole different level, right? I mean, one person literally thought they were going to die. Another person is using hyperbole to emphasize how they felt. Paul is looking in the book of Romans and elsewhere. He's looking at the root of our salvation. He's looking at the moment of our salvation. When you are saved, yes, by faith plus nothing else. But on the other side of that coin, James is looking at the fruit of, of our salvation. That after salvation, after the root of faith has been planted, our lives will then bear the fruit of good works. Paul shows how an unbeliever becomes a Christian, and James shows how a believer lives as a Christian. And once we understand this, James' illustrations make total sense, as does his final statement, verse 26. For, the, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, a zombie, blah, brains, uh, to also, so also faith without works is dead. You see, a life without works can only mean one of two things. If you know Christ, then you are a zombie. Then you're a zombie. You'll live a death-like experience only concerned with feeding yourself. Only concerned with getting the next meal. And we saw that in, in chapter 1. James already has talked about this. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. It's a death-like experience. The second thing is if you don't know Christ, you cannot produce fruit. Because there's no root. The Spirit was never planted within you. 
And as Paul teaches the Romans, there is no amount of work that you can do that can plant that root of faith within you. It's a gift of God, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, not, not your works, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But notice how the Apostle Paul agrees with James in the very next statement that he makes. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Okay, let's try that again. For what? I knew you were out there. Which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Right side by side. Verses 2, 8, and 9 is the great, you know, faith and nothing else. And then verse 10 goes right into those good works are going to be there just as James has been telling us. Think of it this way. It's not faith and works that saves you. It's not faith or works that saves you. It is faith that works, that demonstrates our faith. It's an intellectual faith, it's an emotional faith, and it is a physical faith. Or think of it this way, the mind understands, the heart desires, the soul is transformed, and the will acts. Does that sound familiar? Sounds kind of like the greatest commandment that we read in Mark 12, where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So what do you do with a message like this? Other than maybe feel bad because the pastor's meddling so much. By the way, it's the word of God that's doing the meddling this morning. And I think what we do is what I believe James intended for us to do, to examine ourselves, to ask ourselves, again, it's not something you take and say, well, I'm going to go out and, and, and judge all my friends with this. No, this is a personal thing. And asking ourselves, am I a zombie? Am I someone who just appears to have life? Here's how King David asked that question. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I prayed that right before coming out that door this morning into the worship service today. We, we turned the lights off back there so the light doesn't come in into the room. And I stood there in the dark and I prayed that prayer. And guess what the Lord did? He showed me some things that I needed to deal with in my life. And I dealt with them right there. The Apostle Paul was pretty direct because I believe he had firsthand experience with spiritual zombies. He talks a lot about those who have, have deserted him, those who loved this world more than the, 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 the word of God, and that they had left him and ditched him in various places. 2 Timothy 4, he talks about that. And he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? So if you turn over your, your note sheets, I have a test for you. This morning, the tech team was like, whoa, nine takeaways. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to, I think they speak for themselves. But this is an example. I, I, years ago, I was preaching through this and, uh, in the youth group. And the kids asked me, so what, what is this test that you're talking about? And so I, I worked up a test. And this would be a way to test yourself to see where you are in the faith. 
I encourage you, as I do every week, to ask yourself these questions and see how God answers uh, or how you answer these questions. The first one is this. Was there a time when I honestly realized that I was a sinner and admitted this to myself and to God? Sometimes, especially these days, we have this idea that becoming a Christian is just a matter of, you know, oh, I want what God has to offer. I want to go to heaven, and I want this, and I want that. That's kind of what zombies do. They just feed, okay? They just want, want, want. But the reality is, scriptures begins by saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And so step one is coming to that place when you realize that I not only want eternal life, I need eternal life because of what I have done. I have a personal consciousness of my own sin. Number two, I'm going to let most of these speak for themselves because we'll be here all afternoon if I comment on every one of them. Have I ever seriously been alarmed by my sins? Number three, I think, again, they speak for themselves. Do I understand the gospel that Christ died for my sins and arose again? Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself by anything I can do? The gospel is specifically written out by Paul in 2 Corinthians 15 where he says, for this word I received, I delivered unto you that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scripture. That's the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Number four, did I sincerely repent of my sins and turn from them? Do I secretly, or do I secretly love sin and want to enjoy it? The word repent throughout scripture means to change your mind, okay? Did you have a point in your life where you say, man, something has got to change in my life? And as, as a man thinketh, so he is, as the King James would say. And so when that thought is there, did it actually affect your actions? Did you turn and go the other way? Number five. Have I trusted Christ alone for my salvation? Do I enjoy a living relationship with him through the word and in the spirit? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Did you, have you allowed him to die in your place for that death that you deserve? Number seven, six, has there been a change in my life? Do I maintain good works or are my works occasional and weak? Do I seek to grow in the things of the Lord? Can others tell that I have been with Jesus? Again, I've said this a couple of weeks now, I guess because James is so, you know, physically oriented, but, you know, it's the whole idea that if, if Christianity were against the law, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Number seven, have I had, do I have a desire to share Christ with others, or am I ashamed of him? This is our main outreach tool. Are you participating with us? Are you doing this? Number seven. Eight, do I really enjoy the fellowship of God's people? Is worship a delight to me? Did somebody drag you here this morning or did you want to be here? Can you not wait to get into God's house? And finally, number nine, am I ready for the Lord's return or will I be ashamed when he comes for me? I'm not looking forward necessarily to that, uh, that time. I, I mean, I'm looking, certainly looking forward to his return. But there's a part of me that, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm going to have to answer for some things. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I wonder about that. But nevertheless, I'm looking forward to his return. And I'm dealing with those things as we go through life. 
How do we exercise our faith and our deeds? We call it here the ABCs, and you've seen it in all of these questions already. The first one is, again, make that personal admission. Admit that I need Jesus Christ. Lord, I need you. I recognize that in my life. I recognize that through your word. B is believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as scripture says, and you will be saved. And then C, make a choice. Choose to follow him. And notice what you have in the ABCs. A is what? It's an intellectual faith. B is what? It's an emotional faith, which produces C is in physical faith. So let's pray as we consider how we do in this test of our faith that both Paul and James have encouraged us to take part in. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you will give me And every one of us here today, Lord, the courage to really go through and ask these probing questions of ourselves. Lord, give us the strength then to follow through on whatever it is we need to do. Because, Father, I know I speak for hopefully everybody in this room. We want to live lives that demonstrate to the people in our worlds that we have a faith in you that works. We don't want to be spiritual zombies. We want to live our lives as only they can be lived through the power of your spirit within us. Father, I pray that you would lead me to people who I can help in their walk with Christ, or I can lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, would you shake us out of our complacency so that we're no longer satisfied with anything less than everything that you have for us. Lord, may we live as examples of what James has been talking about in his word today. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Lord, may that be said by everyone in this room this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.